A young couple rented a vacation cottage for a week. One afternoon, the husband looked out a window at the swimming pool and exclaimed, Let's change our clothes and go get some exercise. And his wife, who was washing the dishes in the kitchen and looking out the window, watching some people play tennis, quickly agreed. While she dressed for a tennis match, he put on his swimming trunks. Another one, a wife sitting at the table drinking a cup of coffee. As she sees her husband walk into the kitchen, she says, Good morning, sweetheart. He grumbles, What's so good about it? Didn't you see there's six inches of new snow outside? Traffic is going to be a mess this morning. The snow pile pushed snow into our driveway. I'm going to be late for work because I have to dig the car out. About that same time, their six-year-old son came in, running into the kitchen, eyes bright with excitement. Mom, did you see this new snow? I'm so excited. I just know school will be canceled today, and I'll be able to play in the snow all day. Both of these stories remind us that the window a person chooses to look out at the world often determines that person's perception of reality. Two stories. Were both perceptions accurate? Were both perceptions true? Yes, but completely different. The various stories of these, the various perspectives in these stories were all accurate, even though they were quite different. Over the last few weeks, we have been working our way through Acts chapters 21 and 22. And we've seen that Paul's commitment to letting God have his own way in his life. We've seen that the church should always be marked by unity. And that also that you and I will reach more people with the gospel if we see our negative circumstances in our lives as God's given opportunities to give positive testimonies. That's what we've kind of looked at over the last number of weeks. And this morning, though, we're going to go back up so that we can move forward in our series of Acts. We're going to back up so that we can move forward in our series in Acts. Our passage this morning is going to include some verses that we are already very familiar with because we've gone through them. But we're going to look at them from a wider perspective from which we will gain valuable insight from Paul's experience in Jerusalem. So if you want to turn to Acts chapter 20, and we're going to start in verse 27, and our passage is going to go all the way through chapter 23, verse 35. So almost two full chapters we're going to go through this morning. And since we're already familiar with many of these verses, I'm not going to read through the whole thing. We're going to just refer to them as we go. I want us to all see how gracious our Heavenly Father has been to us. When we back up and take a wider look at Paul's experiences in Jerusalem, we come to realize God is helping us know what to expect in our lives when we strive to stay on mission. What we're going to see in this really large passage is Paul, or is God helping us have the right expectations as we work to stay on mission. What is our mission? Acts 1.8, which is the theme verse for all of Acts. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Have we all received the power as Christ followers? Amen. We have the Holy Spirit living within us. And you will be my witnesses where? In Jerusalem, in all Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Guess what? That is our life mission right there. That is the church's mission. Every ministry we have in this church is focused on that mission to be Christ's witnesses of his death, burial, and resurrection and the salvation that he offers. Paul was to carry out that mission as God's apostle to the Gentiles. We've already seen that. And we are to carry out that mission as God's people in Swansea, South Carolina. 
We both have the same mission. We both have the mission, no matter where we live today, to be a witness, to be a testimony to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Every family activity, every time we have a chance to work, visit with our neighbors, go to Walmart, we are looking for an opportunity to do what? Give witness to Jesus Christ. Even though God has placed us in different locations and at a different time in history, He helps us understand in our passage this morning that we, as His people, can expect to experience similar things in our lives that Paul experienced in his when he was staying on mission. We have the same mission, different place and time, different location. We're going to experience different things that Paul did, but we're going to see that we can all expect certain things, have expectations of certain things to happen in our life when we obey God and stay on mission. In other words, we as Christ followers live with certain expectations as we strive to stay focused on the mission that we have been given by God to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. So what did Paul experience that we can expect to experience also? What can we experience that we can expect to experience just like Paul? First, misunderstanding and opposition. How many of you are really excited about that? If you're staying on mission like Paul was, we're going to encounter misunderstanding and opposition. If you serve your Savior Jesus Christ, this is going to happen in your life. So let's look at some things that happened to Paul. He was misunderstood by the Jews. Remember that? We've already covered that. He came into, into Jerusalem, and the Jews started spreading rumors about how he was against Judaism and how he had brought a, a, a Gentile into the temple courts. Was that true? Absolutely not. None of that happened. The mob tried to kill him. That's what we've been going over the last couple of weeks. They didn't like who Paul was. They, they believed those rumors, and so they tried to, uh, thousands of them tried to kill him. He was misunderstood by the Gentiles. Because the commander who came down to save him, the commander of the Roman barracks that were close by, came down and saved him and pulled him out of the mob, even though he was already beaten and bloodied, he didn't die, the commander saved him. And who did the commander think he was? A rebel Egyptian. This is all what we've looked at already through chapters 20 and 21. A rebel Egyptian. He was misunderstood by the Gentiles. The commander was really, really surprised to find out that he wasn't this rebel. We also saw that he was rejected by his own people. He was rejected by his own people. Again, they, his own people, the people who were beating him, were Jews, just like he was. He was falsely held. In the Roman world, you had to, if you were a Roman citizen, you were not allowed to be held until you had due process in the law. Did he get that? They went down, grabbed him out of the mob, they put him in restraints, carried him up the stairs. Later on, they were going to beat him because the Roman commander still didn't understand what was going on. So he was falsely held, falsely accused. He was abused by his peers. He was now standing before the Sanhedrin. He's standing before the, the Jewish rulers, and he uh, makes a statement. And the high priest gives the, gives the nod, and another member of the high council comes over and does what to Paul? slaps him, which in Jewish law 
That was illegal to do. This is what happened to Paul. Misunderstanding and opposition from the time that he walked into Jerusalem to the time that he was going to leave. In fact, we had also stated that this is the first time in Paul's number of years of ministry and all his missionary journeys where from now till the end of Acts, he's going to be in chains. He's going to be imprisoned for nothing, for something he didn't do. Our mission is the same as Paul's, to bring light of Jesus Christ into the very dark world. And when we stay on that mission, the world will respond to us just like it did Paul. We might not experience all those things, but are we going to be misunderstood by the people around us? Yes, we are. The world doesn't want the light of Jesus Christ to be revealed, uh, to reveal who they are. So they're going to run away from the light. They're not going to want to be around us when we are staying on mission. In fact, let's turn to John chapter 3 for just a minute, verse 16. John chapter 3. Very familiar verse. We're going to read verses 16 through 21. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through Him. Whoever believes in Him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and the people love the darkness rather than the light, because their works are evil." What does the world like? Light or darkness? Which one? Darkness. And when we walk into a room, when we walk into our neighbor's lives, when we walk into our, the lives of our co-workers, when we walk into our cities and towns, and we have the light of Christ showing in us, they see it in our lives, they hear it from our lips, because we're staying on mission, we're telling everybody that we have know about Jesus Christ, what are they going to do? They're going to rebel against that light. They don't want to be part of that light. They don't want the light to show who they really are. And so we understand that we're going to be in the same position that Paul is, misunderstood. Because uh, our message is just like Paul's. Our world will oppose the message of salvation through Jesus Christ alone and will want to extinguish the light of our message. And Jesus clearly promises the world will react strongly against the good news of Jesus Christ. And we see that in John 15, 20. Remember the word, the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecute me, what is it? What's the promise here? They will also persecute you. They will persecute us if we stay on mission. That's a guarantee. We may not get imprisoned. We may not get beaten, but we're going to pay a cost and we're going to have our lives be misunderstood and a Posed when we stay on mission, just like Paul. As Christ followers, we live with the expectation that our message of salvation will be misunderstood and opposed. We live with that expectation. How many of you live every day with that expectation? If I stay on mission, life is going to be more difficult than it would be if I didn't stay on mission. And sometimes when this misunderstanding and opposition comes into our lives, we act surprised. We go, well, where'd this come from? I'm just trying to tell them the good news. I'm just trying to help them. 
Why do they not want to be around me anymore? Why do they block my phone? Why won't they accept text? Why won't they? What has happened? How come I didn't get the promotion I was supposed to just because I'm vocal about Jesus Christ in an appropriate way? And we act surprised. But what we see in this whole idea here from chapter 21 all the way through chapter 23 with Paul is that he was on mission, he didn't do anything wrong, but he was misunderstood, he was opposed, and his life became very difficult. And I'm going to tell you something right now. Our lives are going to become more difficult if we stay on mission. But as the world moves on, as we become more of a, of a secular society, we're going to find it more and more difficult to stay neutral or stay out of the limelight. We can't hide in church pews anymore. We can't have a private Christianity if we're going to stay on mission. Now, if that's all that Paul experienced, misunderstanding and opposition, then what would be, that would be hard for him to deal with, and that would be hard for us to deal with if that's all we could expect is misunderstanding and opposition. How many of you would like just to walk into life understanding that you're going to have nothing but misunderstanding and opposition? Day in and day out, that's, that's the only thing that God is going to give to you. That would be really difficult. And many of us, including myself, would really struggle, maybe even fail. But what we find is another, the second expectation that we can have based on Paul's life in Jerusalem is the nearness of God. So let's look at some of this here real quick. So in verse 21, or chapter 21, just turn there with me. We see Paul goes to Jerusalem, and then we go over to chapter 21 verse 27 and we see that Paul from 27 it says when the seven days were almost completed the Jews from Asia seeing him in the temple stirred up the crowd and laid hands on him crying men of Israel help this is the man who is teaching everyone everywhere against the people and the law and the place and moreover he has even brought Greeks into the temple and has defied this holy place did Paul do any of that absolutely not he was completely misunderstood which we've already talked about and so as he gets taken by the commander and he's going up the stairs, and in verse 37, he's asked to speak to the people as he's being brought into the barracks. The commander says, yes, I'll allow you to speak. And as he speaks, he gives his testimony. And at the end of his testimony, we see this, verse 20 of chapter 22. Up to this word, they listened to him, and then they raised their voices and said, away with such a fellow from this earth, for he should not be allowed to live. They didn't like his testimony. They didn't like the fact that God had told Paul that you're going to be the apostle to the Gentiles. Gentiles are now included in the saving grace that Israel has experienced. They're, they're after Paul. They said they're, they're angry at this point in time. But right in the middle of all of this, I want you to take a look at chapter 23, verse 11. Look at chapter 23, verse 11. So this second wave of the mob just getting very violent, so much so that the commanders worried that they were actually going to tear Paul limb from limb. And Paul had to deal with the Sadducees and the Pharisees. Uh, he's, he's set before them, and they're accusing him, and they're being unlawful to him with slapping, and they're not listening to him. And Paul, in his wisdom, he actually allows the, uh, causes the Sadducees and the Pharisees to start arguing about a, theo- a point of theology. We see that in chapter 23 verse 1. And looking intently at the council, Paul said, brothers, I lived a life before God in all good conscience up to this day. 
And the high priest Ananias commanded those who stood by him to strike him on the mouth. That was illegal. And then Paul said to him, God is going to strike you, you whitewashed wall. Are you sitting to judge me according to the law, and yet contrary to the law, you order me struck? Those who stood by said, would you revile God's high priest? Basically, the law said that he was not allowed to speak against the high priest. That was part of the law. And Paul said, I did not know, brothers, that he was the high priest. For it was written, you shall not speak to the evil of the ruler of your people. Did Paul apologize? Did Paul say, I did not obey the law? He did. He admitted that. Now in verse 6, And when Paul perceived that one part were Sadducees and the other Pharisees, he cried out in the council, Brothers, I am a Pharisee, a son of Pharisees. It is with respect to the hope that the resurrection of the dead that I am on trial. And when he said this, a dissension arose between the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and the assembly was divided. For the Sadducees say, There is no resurrection, nor angel, nor spirit, but the Pharisees acknowledge them all. And then, with a, then a great clamor arose, and some of the scribes of the Pharisees' party stood up and contended sharply. We find nothing wrong with this man. What if a spirit or an angel spoke to him? And when dissension became violent, the tribune, afraid that Paul would be torn to pieces by them, commanded the soldiers to go down and take them away from among them by force and, bringing him, and bring him to the barracks again. They're trying to kill him. He is under false arrest. His own peers, Paul was a Pharisee, his own peers attacked him called him a, a blasphemer, misunderstood and opposed at every corner. But then we get to verse 11. Look at verse 11. The following night, the Lord stood by him and said, take courage, for as you have testified to the facts about me in Jerusalem, so you must testify also in Rome. Right in the middle of this turmoil and all of this beating and opposition and misunderstanding, what does God come and tell Paul? I'm with you. I need you to go to Rome. They're not going to kill you. Your life is safe. You're going to testify for me in Rome just like you have here in Jerusalem. Do you think that was a great comfort to Paul? You see, sometimes we need, we need encouragement, don't we? When we are living on task and we're being misunderstood and we're being opposed, we need encouragement because it's hard. Paul was not enjoying this. He wasn't saying like, oh, give me some more. He's human, just like us. He was beaten. He was bruised. He was, how many of you like to be lied about? How many of you like to be lied about in public to hundreds of people? We react to that really severely, don't we? It's not fair. It's not true. And many of us will go, what? We're going to search out who did what, who lied about us. We don't see Paul doing any of that. And Paul, sitting imprisoned, has Jesus Christ, has the Lord come to him and say, take courage for as you have testified to me, to the facts about me in Jerusalem, so you must also in Rome. Sometimes, like I said, we need to encouragement when we are in this difficult times of our lives. These people who encourage us don't have to say a lot. They don't have to do anything but be there, True. It's just knowing that somebody is there, just knowing that they are there. And we see a good example of this in Job. Listen to what it says in Job. And now when Job's three friends, this is right at the beginning of Job, heard of all this evil that had come upon him, they came each from his own place, Eliphaz, the Temanite, Bildad, the Shuhite, and Zophar, the Hamathite. And they made an appointment together to come to show him sympathy and comfort him. After everything that happened to Job, they're going to go encourage him. 
And when they saw him from a distance, they did not recognize him. That's how bad his life had gotten. And they raised their voices and wept, and they tore their robes and sprinkled dust on their head. They were actually mourning for Job. He looked so bad, they actually went into mourning for Job. And they sat with him on the ground seven days and seven nights, and no one spoke a word to him, for they saw that his suffering was very great. They didn't come in and try to offer counsel. They didn't try to come in and offer words of encouragement. What did they do? They offered themselves. They came in. They mourned for him. They, under, they made him or helped him understand that we are mourning with you. And they sat with him for seven days and seven nights, not uttering a word. I don't know if I could go that long without uttering a word. All they did was offer what? Job, their presence. Because we understand that when we have when we have somebody who cares for us being present in our lives because they understand what we're going through, that brings great comfort. And they don't even have to say anything. We know that God was with Paul throughout the events in Jerusalem, and God also is with us during every event we encounter as we live our lives on mission for Him. God reaches out to Paul and says, Don't feel discouraged. Take courage. I'm here. You've been through a lot because of your testimony about me but you're not going to die. Your mission is not completed yet. You're also going to be a witness for me in Rome. And I want you to understand something, that Paul wasn't the only one who experienced the nearness of God during the trial that we're going to encounter when we stay on mission. I want everybody to turn with me to Mark chapter 6. If you have a pew Bible, it's on page 1071. I love this passage. It's one of my favorite. Many of us know it. Mark chapter 6, starting in verse 45. Mark chapter 6, verse 45. So Jesus has fed the 5,000. There's hundreds of people out there. And look at verse 43. And they took up 12 baskets full and broke the pieces and fish. And those who ate the loaves were 5,000 men. Verse 45. Immediately, he, Jesus Christ, made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side to Bethsaida while he dismissed the crowd. And after he had taken leave of them, he went up on the mountain to pray. And when the evening came, the boat was out of the, on the sea, and he was alone on the land. And he saw that they were making headway painfully, for the wind was against them. And about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them, walking on the sea. And he meant to pass them. But when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost and cried out. For they all saw him and were terrified. But immediately he spoke to them and said, Take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. And he gets into the boat. Many of us are familiar with that story. But if we look at this and break this down a little bit, it's amazing. It's an amazing example of how God is always near us. So who sent them out into the ocean, into the water? Jesus Christ did. He's up on a mountain. Did Jesus Christ know there was going to be a big storm? He sent them out. He has sent us out on mission. Does Jesus Christ understand that there's going to be a big storm in our life when we are also staying on mission like they stayed on mission to row across to Bethsaida? Absolutely. Jesus Christ was completely aware of what was going on. Do you think the disciples who were in that boat thought that Jesus was watching them? Probably not. In the midst of all this rowing, a great storm was raging about them. But look at what we see. And I'm at verse 47, And when evening came, the boat was out on the sea, and he was alone on the land, and he saw that they were making headway painfully. 
who was watching and near to them even when they didn't know it. Jesus was watching what was going on. He assigned them a mission. They kept that mission. They were struggling mightily in that mission. And never once did Jesus Christ take his eyes off of them. He was near them and he didn't, they didn't even know it. And then in his time and in his way and in his will, he comes down off the mountain, walks across the water, gets in the boat, and the storm you and I are also being watched by Jesus Christ in the same way there is nothing that is going to go on in our lives when we stay on mission that he isn't watching and that he is not near to us for he knows exactly what he has asked us to go into he knows exactly what we're going to experience and what kind of pain is going to come into our lives and what kind of opposition is going into our lives but he's always near us always He's always watching. There's never a time that He is out of our sight or we're out of His sight. And that brings so much comfort to us. They're, they're not going to understand us and they're also going to be opposition, but we also understand that there's a nearness to Christ that we cannot walk away from. God doesn't speak to us today like He verbally and physically talked to those in the boat and to Paul, but He has given us the same promise in His Word. Look at this promise, Hebrews 13, verses 5 through 6. Keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And so we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear what man can do to me. You don't have to worry about money. You don't have to worry. God is watching. Jesus Christ is watching. Jesus Christ is near. No matter what happens as we fulfill our mission to be gospel lights to the world around us, Jesus Christ is watching. He knows what he's asked us to do. God's word encouraged Paul. It was a voice. It was a presence. And God's word via the Bible can also encourage us. We have the Holy Spirit living within us. We are never alone. We will never walk a step in the life God has called us to by ourselves because He is always with us. Paul's experience uh, experienced misunderstanding and opposition, but he never experienced it alone because he also experienced the nearness of God in every trial he went through while he was in Jerusalem. Paul experienced the third thing that we will also experience if we stay on mission, the sovereign hand of God leading us. Not only is He there, not only is He watching, but God's sovereign hand is leading us. Take a look at chapter 23, starting in verse 16. Chapter 23, starting in verse 16. And let's start, let's start in verse 12. Now it was day the Jews made a plot and, about, and bound themselves by an oath neither to eat nor drink until they had killed Paul. There were more than 40 who made this conspiracy. 40 people wanted to kill Paul. They went to the chief priests and the elders and said, We have strictly bound ourselves by an oath to taste no food till we have killed Paul. Now, therefore, you, along with the council, give notice to the tribune to bring him down to you as though you were going to determine his case more exactly, and we will be ready to kill him before he comes near. We have Jewish brothers wanting to kill Paul. They actually go to the Jewish leaders, Paul's peers, and they are party to this. They want to get rid of Paul. They want to get rid of his witness. They want to get rid of the light. Look at verse 16. Now the son of Paul's sister, his nephew, heard of their ambush, so he went and entered the barracks and told Paul. And Paul called one of the centurions and said, Take this young man to the tribune, for he has something to tell him. 
So he took him and brought him to the tribune and said, Paul, the prisoner, called me and asked me to bring this young man to you as he has something to say to you. And the tribune took him by the hand and going aside, asked him privately, what is it that you have to tell me? And he said, the Jews have agreed to ask you to bring Paul down to the council tomorrow as though they were going to inquire something more closely about him. But do not be persuaded by them, for more than 40 men are lying in ambush for him who have bound themselves by an oath neither to eat nor drink till they have killed him. And now they are ready, waiting for your consent. And so the tribune dismissed the young man, charging him, tell no one that you have informed me of these things. Verse 23. And then he called two of the centurions and said, get ready, 200 soldiers with 70 horsemen and 200 spearmen to go as far as Caesarea at the third hour of the night. Also provide mounts for Paul to ride and bring him safely to Felix the governor. And he wrote a letter to this effect. Sometimes when we're in the thick of things, it seems as if no one's in control. It seems like everything is just going along and there is nobody who is controlling, nobody protecting me. Paul knew he was going to be beaten in Jerusalem. We already studied that a number of chapters ago. It had been prophesied that he was. And Paul knew he was going to be opposed. But even knowing what is going to happen is often hard to get it's often hard not to get anxious when everything seems to be falling apart. No one was listening to Paul. He has been beaten by his own countrymen. The Roman commander is frustrated and almost made a mistake that it could have ended his life when he tried to beat Paul. The mob is still unruly. His peers are trying to convict him, and others want to kill him. And he's being detained for his safety. But through all of this, we see God's sovereign hand guiding him. We see God's sovereign hand guiding him. Years before, why did Paul not get beaten by the Roman Roman army? Because he was a Roman citizen. Who made sure that he was a Roman citizen when he was born? God did. Paul was born a Roman citizen from parents who were Roman citizens. Did Paul or his parents ever think that his Roman citizenship would save him from a beating years and years later? No. But who knew that? God did. God used Roman soldiers to save him from the mob. Pagan soldiers. God made sure were in the barracks that was built next to the temple, that they were close enough to rescue him from a mob that wanted to kill him. Who planned all that? God did. The sovereign hand of God was leading Paul. Now in these verses 16 through 35, we see that God provided a nephew who just happened to be, think about this, he just happened to be where these 40 men were making the plan They didn't see him, and he was able to get to the Roman tribune. Now, think of what went on there. He happened to be there. He overheard what was happening. And how many times do you think a tribune wanted to hear what a young boy had to say? Whose hand was in all of this? To protect Paul in the mission that he had called him to. God always keeps his promises, and he had promised Paul, you're going to witness for me in Rome just like he did in Jerusalem. Did those 40 men ever have a chance of killing Paul, period? It was not going to happen. So if you overheard the plot, the Roman legal system, it was very corrupt and pagan, and they rescued Paul 
How many times in the scriptures do we see God using corrupt empires and corrupt nations to protect his people? Over and over. Go through the Old Testament. Read through the Old Testament. We have to understand something else. Was the Roman commander helping God out? Was that his point? Was that his purpose? The Roman commander was helping whom? Himself. Because who was in charge of this area of Jerusalem? He was. He had thousands of troops stationed in Jerusalem to make sure that a mob did not happen. And if he failed at his duty as a Roman soldier, what was his sentence? Death. And now he has a mob that he can't control. He has a man he doesn't understand who it is, and he's tried to numerous times to try to figure out who this Paul guy is. He almost beats him, which would have meant death for him because he illegally beat a Roman citizen without the due process of law. The only reason the Roman commander wanted to help Paul was for his own skin. If it had gotten out that he had let this Jewish man, who was a Roman citizen, be beat up and killed by a mob, the Roman commander would have also been killed. He had no care about God. He had no care about anybody but himself because he didn't want to lose his position or his life because he didn't protect Paul. But who was using this? God was. God's sovereign hand was leading. In everything that transpired, we see that God was in control through all of these chapters. God is the same today. His sovereign hand is leading us just like he did, Paul. We must not forget that. God is the same today. He is sovereign hand is leading us in our mission just like he did Paul. And we know that from the scriptures. Proverbs 16, 4, the Lord has made everything for its purpose, even the wicked for the day of trouble. Who takes responsibility for all the wicked and the day of troubles that we take as we are on mission? God says, I did it. If God has done that, who's in control? God. Proverbs 16, 9, the heart of a man plans his way. Amen? Do we all plan our way? I mean, if you look at my calendar, I plan my way. And then whatever blanks are left in my calendar, Kathy fills them up. My calendar is full. It looks like a rainbow. The heart of a man plans his way. I'm supposed to do that to be a good steward. But the Lord establishes my steps. It doesn't make any difference what I plan. Sometimes I'm walking where God wants me to. Sometimes he crashes that plan and I've got to do something different. How many times do we accept that well? How many times do we find ourselves arguing with God saying, I had all this stuff planned, but now the traffic's here, or the t- tire got blown on the freeway, or I didn't get the, the PowerPoint done because the, the, my computer crashed, and we really get upset because our plans weren't what God's plans were. And very often we don't bow ourselves to God's will and say, Lord God, this is not my plan. This is really changing what I want to do today. But Lord God, it's your, you're the one who establishes my steps each and every day. God's sovereign hand is leading us. We also see in Isaiah 57, I form the light and create the darkness. Does God do that? Has he done that? Genesis 1.1, let there be light. I make well-being and create calamity. How many of you like that? How many of you like the well-being part? We like that, right? How many of you like the next phrase? And 
create calamity? What does God specifically take responsibility for? Calamity, those things that happen in life that we just don't have control over. Who planned COVID? Does God take responsibility for that here? Absolutely. Who takes responsibility for the Ukraine-Russian war? Who takes responsibility for the hurricanes and the tsunamis? God says, I do this. My sovereign hand controls it all. I am the Lord who does all these things. He tacks it on the end because he wants to make sure that none of us us misunderstand what he's saying. I am am the Lord who does all these things. Don't think that I don't. Don't try to, don't try to protect me because you want people to see me as being something that I'm not. I create all the well-being, all the good that we experience on this planet in our lives, all of our families, this church service and our families here. God says, I take responsibility for it. But he says, I also take responsibility for everything you don't want in your life. His sovereign hand is guiding us as we stay on mission. And so many of us are, don't stay on mission because we're scared about what God's going to bring in our lives. And so we would much rather just be quiet. We would like to stop the mission that God has given us because we're afraid of what's going to happen. And God says, you don't have to be. You don't have to be afraid. My hand is guiding just like it did Paul. And Paul went through some terrible events. But you want to know something? Paul ended up in Rome, and Paul was imprisoned in Rome, and God used all of that for Paul to witness to what was called the Praetorian Guard. People that he never would have met unless he had gone to Rome. And that Praetorian Guard went out throughout the known world as they got restationed, and they brought the light of Jesus Christ to the known world because Paul was in prison in Rome because he was on mission for God. God can do the same thing in our lives. And everything that comes into our lives, God can use to further His mission as we are on mission. We will experience opposition and misunderstanding, but God is always near and He is always in control. And when we live our lives expecting these three things, we will better be able to withstand when we encounter misunderstanding and opposition. Let me encourage you to apply this sermon in a couple of ways here. Number one, thank God for His sovereignty. You don't always know what He's doing, you know, don't always know what He's planning, you don't always understand what in the world is going on here, but we understand that God is sovereign, He is in control, and we need to thank God for that, even when we don't understand what's going on. We need to enjoy being near God by reading His Word. God doesn't speak to us vocally and, and physically like He did to Paul and to those in Mark 6. But God does speak to us every single day through His Word. And when we're not in His Word, we are missing out on what God is saying to us on a day-in, day-out basis that we need when we face opposition and misunderstanding. Expect Expect difficult times. If you are living on mission, you are going to have difficult times and your life is going to be harder than what it would be if you're not on mission. Just expect it. Don't be surprised when it hits you in the face. Expect it. And we need to understand something else. If we are living a life in such a way that we rarely, if ever, see difficult times because of our mission, then we need to ask, am I really on mission? Because if we're on mission, 
we're going to expect difficult times. The last one, expect to testify about God's provision during those times. Expect difficult times and expect to testify about God's provision during those difficult times. Those are, these are things that we can live out each and every day in light of this very long passage from the middle of chapter 21 all the way through the end of chapter 23. We've looked at them from a, a different perspective as we talked about earlier, but also when we back up and look at this as a big picture, all those verses together, we see these three things. We can expect to be misunderstood and we can expect oppression, but we can also expect Jesus Christ to always be near us and we can expect that God's sovereign hand is directing everything that is happening and we don't have to worry. I'd like you to bow your heads for just a minute. If you're on mission and you're experiencing some difficult situations, now is a time that you can actually do the first application point. Thank God for his sovereignty. Know that what you're going through right now, because you're on mission, because you are being a light for Jesus Christ, thank God that He is in control and He is sovereign in whatever situation, difficulty you're experiencing right now. Thank Him for His sovereignty. Maybe you're feeling like life is out of control, that nobody is in control and everything is happenstance and random, and you find yourself being anxious day in and day out. You find yourself struggling with depression. Well, there's a way that you don't have to experience those things. It doesn't mean that those things are going to be removed from your life. It doesn't mean that that life is going to automatically just become rose-colored, okay? But it does mean that you know that God is with you, God is near you, and God is sovereign. If you don't have that sense that God is there and that God is sovereign, I would love to introduce you to the salvation that we have through Jesus Christ that will allow this to help change your perspective. I hope and pray that everybody here understands and grasps that the only way for us to have God near us is if we are th- saved through, this, through salvation, through faith in Jesus Christ. Please come and see me after service. I'll be up here in the front. If you want to talk about Jesus Christ, if you want to find out how to understand life from His perspective and to gain the comfort that it has, that we have as Christ followers knowing that God is near us and that His hand is sovereign in everything that's going on. If you're not struggling right now and you're in a time where you're living for Christ and you're just not experiencing difficulty right now, now is the time to prepare yourself for that difficulty that is coming. <clears throat> the promise is that you will experience difficulty. Prepare yourself now. Be in God's Word. Have friends and family and church that will walk alongside of you. Prepare those relationships now. So when that difficult time comes... God will be near you not only through His Word and through His presence and indwelling of the Holy Spirit, but also through those who love you as the body of Christ. Father God, we come to you. We thank you for your Word. We thank you for what Paul went through so that we could see how you work in our lives also. I pray that we would understand that even when we can't feel you, you are there. And when we think things are out of control, we Come back to the truth of the word and know that you are in control. Lord God, help these truths to comfort our hearts when we find ourselves in opposite of the world. We find ourselves with the world in opposition to us and not wanting to see the light that we have in Jesus Christ. Father, thank you for your word. 
in Christ's name, amen.